The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 197, brought to you by the Five Poke at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Tenure Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, did you actually watch Jets Broncos last night? Did you see Tim Patrick? Did you win your bet? Are you a happy man or did you come away disappointed? How'd it go? I started like halfway through the first quarter. I watched most of it. I was we were we were playing games for the end of it. Like it wasn't like, you know, like on the edge <laughs> of my seat here. Though the you know, the the overall spread of the game swung on a garbage time Melvin Gordon touchdown, which man, if you're gonna lose a bet on Jets Broncos Thursday night football, you'd rather lose it in quarter two than losing on like the last significant play of the fourth quarter. That just freaking yeah. sucks. We played we played Warzone as as about as well as these two teams played yeah, last night. Ribbon played well. He he had really bad interceptions, but other than that, you know, interceptions don't really matter, right? It's fine. He had some great throws from what I saw on the timeline too. Like it was a mix, right? He's a good pre-snap identifier. Yeah. And then when the Jets were running trap coverages, his mind was blown. <laughs> um. So that's like your limit on this guy. But hey, Eagles fans should really want Brett Rippon to continue starting. So if the Jets got three picks on him, other teams are going to get three picks on him. And then Carson Wentz will be leading the league in interceptions. We'll all feel better about ourselves. That would be great. And Ben, we are here to talk about the 49ers and the Eagles, our preview for this week. But Ben, before we get into the preview, did you hear the comments from Nick Foles about Frank Reich? saying that he was the one that really figured him out as a player and really molded the game plan for him during the 2017 Super Bowl run. Because, I mean, a lot of people are are taking this as a shot, maybe at Doug Peterson, saying that Frank Reich was responsible for a lot of this stuff. Frank Reich was also the offensive coordinator and put in charge of this type of stuff for that very reason. So it's hard for me to, like, take anything away from it. Obviously, when things are down in Philly, everything gets magnified times a thousand. But what right. what was your initial takeaway from those comments from Foles? Yeah, I like I'm going to ask a stupid question here. That was Frank Reich's job, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, and, and the thing is, it's not like the Bears are playing the Seahawks. Right. They're playing the Colts. <laughs> He was directly asked about Frank Wright. Yeah, exactly. 
really, I mean, and and let's 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 keep it a hundred here. The Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, John D. Filippo, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles complex, right, of twenty seventeen, hummed. There is no like they got such good play out of Carson, and then they got such good play out of Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. That all was tremendous. Immediately following that, D. Filippo and Reich left, and in twenty eighteen, the the Foles Wentz. Peterson, Grow, Press, Taylor complex did not get nearly the same sort of play out of Carson. And then Foles went in for an injured Carson and played decently well again. Mm-hmm. Not like he had in the Super Bowl run, but the Eagles sort of dropped Alshon Jeffrey first down from potentially beating the Saints and going to the NFC Championship game. Right. Then Foles is gone. 2019, it's your Wentz, Sudfeld, Press, Taylor, Micro, Doug Peterson complex. Real roller coaster. Bad. Coaches get fired, and now it's your Wentz, Sudfeld, Peterson, Scangarello, Morningweg, Press Taylor <laughs> complex, right? So you've added Scangarello, Morningweg, and clearly it's not gone great to this point. That coaching staff progression, if anything, is an indictment on Peterson's ability to identify and, and acquire assistance and positional coaches necessary to help him execute as the head coach, as he Correct. wants to, right? Yeah. This is why when we talked about in the in the waning moments of the grow era the insistence that they not just internally promote guys that you have to go bring in guys who have new ideas and three weeks into the season the offense is obviously terrible but i still hold to that it was very clear in week one that they wanted to try to do something new and thank god for that because they attempted to throw a pass downfield and it was very nice to see even though they had no pass protection whatsoever so it's important that we acknowledge that through 2017 to now Peterson has struggled to find the necessary assistance and quarterback coach to continue having the same degree of success with Wentz. Also on Wentz to be able to work with his coaches. That streak goes both ways. But if we're going to sit here and as a lot of people like to do and say like Frank Reich was the was everything. He was the solution. He was yeah. the whole offense. And since he's been gone, the offense has been bad. I disagree with that. Yeah, because I can look. I can take the offense from 2017 and I can take the offense from 2018, 2019, and I can cut up a bunch of plays and I can take the numbers off the players and I can put them in a, in a video and you won't be able to tell which one's from which one. Correct. So unless it's a, it's a significant Monday to Saturday preparation related issue, which I don't think it is like, obviously D Filippo had his little like test that he gave his quarterback, unless it's, it's something that they did directly with the quarterback to get him prepared for the concepts that Peterson, Taylor, and everybody else have not been able to replicate. The offense didn't change in what it was trying to do and how it was trying to do it through 2018 through 2019. Injury muddles that. And this just goes back to the piece that I wrote about everything that's wrong with Carson Wentz. The offense wants to do X, Y, and Z, but when you lose Alshon and Deshaun, you lose X. You don't have the ability to do this anymore, right? So you have to try to replicate different things. And that's why we have... Carson, uh, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott getting 11 targets a game to end last season's because running back targets were the best the Eagles had by the end of it all, right? So injury muddles this, but I would argue that schematically, choice-wise, what they wanted to do, how they wanted to get their guys open, really didn't change measurably when DeFilippo and, and Reich left. To me, it's it was a Peterson offense, and it's still a Peterson offense. What Reich does in Indianapolis is clearly analogous to what was once done in Philadelphia under him, but is also noticeably different they're mm-hmm. under center a lot more in indianapolis they run a lot more two three-man route combinations in indianapolis so all of this to say it isn't as neat 
as we want it to be. It isn't yeah. as 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 clean of a all right, right, left, and everything got bad. That's not what happened. It contributed, I think. To, to there's no doubt that Reich and D Flip was the best staff we've had here under Peterson. Correct. So it contributed, but it, it, it's not the whole cause. It's not the whole effect. It's not one to one. Um, there's been no doubt that Reich's been a good coordinator since he was in Philadelphia. Losing him sucked. I hate Josh McDaniels for it. He's stupid and annoying. We could have <laughs> kept Reich. It would have been amazing. But uh, Reich is gone. And as is the case in the NFL, it's difficult to get a good coaching staff together. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to blame Doug Peterson for the offensive hires they've had since then and their and their ineffectiveness, you have to give Doug Peterson credit for picking out Reich, for picking out DiFilippo and, and making that work as well. And overall, I think Doug Peterson is still a, a good offensive coach. It's not showing this year, but I think there have been game plans that you can point to specifically over the last couple of years without Frank uh, that you can say, Doug really cooked this one up. Like the immediate one that comes to mind is is what they were able to do at the end of last season. Thought there were some awesome game plans in there. You talk about the the Buffalo game in the middle of the season as well with heavy wins. I thought that was a Doug win, not a Carson win. But anyway, getting too far into the weeds there. But I, I agree with your point on the whole. I don't think this quote right. says like, oh, Doug's a fraud. Like that's so right. far from the truth uh, for me. The most interesting thing to me about this entire continuing referendum on the 2017 quarterback offensive complex of the Philadelphia Eagles is that DeFilippo is the quarterback's coach in Chicago right now with Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. And it's going to Filippo for his quarterbacking work in Philadelphia, got the offensive coordinator job in Minnesota, tried to throw the football and got tossed, mm-hmm. got the offensive coordinating job in Jacksonville, turned out like relatively good stuff with Gardner Minshew, but was 0-4 with Nick Foles. Right got tossed he's now the quarterbacks coach in chicago once again with nick Foles, figuring out like like we, we love to talk about how good reich's been i think indianapolis has one playoff win right and obviously they, they dealt with the andrew lock andrew luck loss but i think one playoff appearance excuse me um so it's not even like he's been like insanely successful we love to talk about how good reich's been d filippo has struggled and now he's in chicago with nick Foles. if d filippo were a big part of this with Foles, success in 2017, I mean, he should be able to get something good out of Foles with Nagy in, in, in Chicago this year. Yeah, maybe we'll he does, see. maybe he doesn't. Yeah. Somebody asked me on Twitter if the Eagles should look into bringing DeFlippo back. And it's funny because, okay, the last time Carson was really good, DeFlippo was the quarterback's coach, so yes. But also, DeFlippo's not been good, not had a ton of success. He's in third, third job in three years. And they've balked on it every time they've been asked about it. They've pretty right. much said emphatically no that DeFlippo's not coming back. So it's... it's uh, all of this to say, I would love to tell you that looking at the on-field product of a team reveals one-to-one who's doing what in the coaching room, but it doesn't. Mm. Like, the current Eagles coaching staff, once again, like, Doug Peterson is responsible for overarching game plan. Mm-hmm. We know Press Taylor is responsible for the red zone, as he was last year. Do we know who's responsible for third downs, which right. used to be Reich? Because we don't. Mm. I we I don't I don't know I don't know if it's somewhere please let me know but from what I understand we don't know if it's Gangarello or if it's Morningweg or if it's Peterson or if it's Taylor we don't know so like this is not as as easy as we want it to seem and of course the we in the hunt for answers in the hunt for validation we want things to be neat and tidy but they aren't and that's a reality we have to come to terms with so there's also a video floating around of Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson having a supposedly yeah. animated discussion at practice yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look uh, here's the thing. 
you saw from that what you wanted to see. And I personally don't have any takeaways from it. It's it's like when Cowboys fans griped that a Seahawks player got picked up by a hot mic saying, you know, Boz told me to F him up, right? Like it's the most innocuous football thing to ever happen. And I'm sure Doug and Howie have had hundreds of these types of conversations. If I had to deal with more people at work in person, I probably have these types of animated conversations. Say, this is this is these are the hand motions I make when I'm talking about things on the podcast. I'm making them right now, right? Like <laughs> passions are high, everybody is agitated, the season isn't going right, and maybe Howie and Doug are sick of each other and at odds, but that's not the video I'm highlighting to show it. it that's all I'm saying. I think this is a big nothing burger. Maybe there's something deeper there, but this is not like oh, here it is, guys. This shows that they hate each other. You know what I mean? Did I just scroll by it somehow? No, tweet's not available. He deleted it. It's been deleted. <laughs> oh, adding to the intrigue. What are the Eagles trying to cover up, Mike? Yeah, so if, if there's a hard edit in here, me and Ben were trying to find who had initially tweeted this video so we could pro- give proper accreditation. Uh, we couldn't find it because it has since yeah, been so deleted. It was Jeff Skversky of 6ABC. Yeah. It is no longer him. He has absolved himself from the situation. He has washed his hands clean of this bile. I I think if he didn't put the eyeball emojis on it, it would have been okay to put up. But when you put the eyeballs emoji, you're like, something's going on here. 100% (laughs) caught a email from Eagles PR that was like, we're going to need you to take this down. The implication, uh, Doug was complaining about the lack of buffalo chicken in the cafeteria, something he's talked about with Harry Roseman many times. They both confirmed this. We just don't like the implication. Oh, we're going to ask you to take it down. Oh, we're going to handle this internally. <laughs> Taking it down. Like I was not on board with it being a bad thing until it got taken down. I'm fully on board now with Peterson and Roseman hate each other. I don't. I mean, like, what are we? do yeah. we think Roseman and Peterson are best friends with each other right now? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I say, uh, Roseman drafts receivers. Peterson doesn't play them. <laughs> right. Right. Roseman drafts linebackers. They don't. They only play on special teams. Roseman gives Schwartz all this power to pick the players he wants. Team team is zero and three. Yep. Seats again hot. Yeah. We we haven't like to be buddy buddy. Like no, of course we're pissed at each other. It's it's like you know, I I like to say this. Like the head coach and the the GM are supposed to exist in a state of contention. They're both supposed to disagree. The head coach wants immediate relief, better roster right now, and the GM wants later relief, better roster two years from now. Mm -hmm. They have different jobs and different goals. Uh, So I really don't care. Think that why wouldn't they be yelling at each other? The team is bad, and I'm sure each one thinks the other is mostly at fault. So let, let's start to get into the 49ers preview. Obviously, there's not a whole lot to preview with this, so we decided to go with some other topics that are big talking points around Philadelphia right now that that happened after uh, B- BGN Radio recorded. But Ben, we're dealing with a Thursday injury report here with partial updates from Friday as we record this at 12:30 p.m. on Friday, and uh, there's no reason to list every single one. That would take a while. But the big story is that the Eagles only had one active receiver on Thursday. That was Greg Ward. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was out with a calf. John Hightower with an illness. However, he was back on Friday. Deshaun Jackson with a hamstring. Shocker. Alshon Jeffrey practiced on Wednesday in a limited capacity, but he was out again on Thursday. Worked on a side field to begin the, the, the session on Friday. We obviously know he's not going to play on Sunday. He's looking for some time, maybe a mid-October start date. We don't know. That, that kind of falls in line with the average recovery time for his injury. They're saying that Alshon not really practicing on Thursday wasn't a setback and was part of the plan. 
I'm not sure what to believe there. Uh, and of course, we already knew that Jalen Rager would be out, and we might as well throw Dallas Goddard in that bucket as well. Uh, ultimately, the Eagles are looking at a very similar situation to the one at the end of the season last year, and we, the people, are being groundhog dayed by this team. And the healthy receivers that they're pulling up from the various depths of the roster ain't great because it's the aforementioned ward. Uh, they'll probably activate rookie Quez Watkins. There's the chance they'll bring up Travis Fulgham. Um, tight end, Hakeem Butler, who was recently added, could, could bolster the depth there. I use the word bolster lightly. Uh, ben, you you wrote a novel on the, the struggles going on with and around Carson Wentz for Bleeding Green Nation, as you mentioned. The piece was widely criticized in the comments for either being too tough or too easy on Carson. Yep. Uh, it was which, definitely bad, but people are sure about this. <laughs> which, I mean, I think you nailed it. That's when you know you nailed it. But, like, how does this all play into a quarterback that seemingly doesn't trust anybody around him? What can we really expect from this offense going into this game? It was 1,400 words. It's not a novel. You know what? Honestly, I just kind of scrolled through and, and, like, hit the major parts. I just assumed you wrote, like, 4,000 words because that's what you're, like, prone to do. I kept it low. I was like, let's boy. be concise. Say yes. what it is. 1.4K. That's very reasonable. <laughs> Watch yourself. Apologies. I mean, so the offense, Mike, is going to be bad. Yeah. And the offense is going to be bad because the quarterback's playing poorly and because there's no talent, because the offensive line is banged up, and because the coaching staff doesn't know what to do. So of the four things that you'd like to have a good offensive day, which is either good quarterback, good ta uh, weaponry, good talent, good offensive line, or good coach, you have zero. So it is unlikely that things go well. People have brought up the fact that like John Hightower is separating. And to me, this is like a tremendous case in point, a tremendous... like. Like my like little like testing field yeah for what's happening with the Eagles offense right now. John Hightower is separating. I one hundred percent agree. There are Safe. times against the Cincinnati Bengals where John Hightower is opening against man coverage underneath and deep. We talked about it on the reaction show, saying yep. that there were several instances where we thought Hightower was open and once we just like, no way, buddy. Yeah. So the last time Carson Wentz threw the ball to John Hightower, the ball was intercepted. It was not a good throw. <laughs> right, right, right. It was not a good throw. Once again, because one, the quarterback didn't throw the ball well, and two, the receiver also didn't run a good route, right? So the ball was placed too far inside relative to where the receiver was, and the receiver also wasn't where the quarterback expected him to be. Mm -hmm. We've discovered across Carson, Carson Wentz last year and a half that he really, this is a very timing-based offense. This is a very spatially-based offense. Wentz <laughs> wants receivers to be where he expects them to be when he expects them to be there, right? It's important to him that... The, the the wheels are greased, and he does not like working with Ortega Whiteside. We saw him have miscommunications there, miscommunications with Greg Ward on some when when Ward was first hopping into the starting lineup. Think about the Seattle game last year. Car Carson's not the only quarterback to do this, by the way. Like you've seen how many times Tom Brady will ice out a receiver completely from the game plan. Right. Difference being, you know, <laughs> Carson's obviously not Tom Brady, but right. But the point the point here being <laughs> that if at the snap. You know, I think a, a common misconception is that a quarterback snaps the football. And as he snaps it, he goes, okay, which of the five receivers should I throw it to? At the snap, Carson's deciding where he's looking and where what side of the field he's reading and what receivers against which matchups he'd like. He's making decisions pre-snap. And critically, when he makes that, that, when he goes through that process, Wentz is not assuming that he's going to have enough time to get backside. Mm -hmm. And he's not assuming this because he doesn't. He doesn't because the offensive line is poor with Jason Peters at left tackle. It's poor with Matt Pryor at right guard. It's poor with Nate Herbert at left guard. It is giving up pressure, 
right? The only two actual starters, Kelsey and, and Lane, are both getting older. Lane's dealing with ankle stuff. They're both not playing at 100% of what they used to. So the last time Wentz threw to Hightower, it was a pick on a not a great route and a not a good throw. Since then, he has just not shown interest in throwing the ball to Hightower. Now, is that justified? Probably not. This is a, a, a fifth-round pick, a rookie, so certainly he's not supposed to be out there starting. But the team went out and got him. He was productive at Boise. He's got long speed. This is He's around. He's going to be around. John Hightower is going to be on this team next year, and he's going to be on this team the year after that. I can guarantee you that Hightower is going to be here for at least three seasons, including this one. So you got him, Carson. He's here. You got no Deshaun. You got no Rager. You got no Alshon. You hate J-Jaw. Cool. You got to throw the ball to somebody. And this guy is speedy and he's opening. Choose to throw it to him. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I would say to Carson if I were in Carson, if I were, if I had his ear. I don't have his ear. You know who has his ear? His coaches. Does, is, uh, what exhibit do we have of his coaches having any sort of influence over him? Mm-hmm. What, what, what have they coached into him? What have they taught to him? He's not reading concepts correctly. He's behind on his reads. He's jumping on his reads. He's ahead of, of, route breaks and then he's behind route breaks he's constantly not married to the concept in the way that he wants to be and is comfortable being that falls on coaching Mm -hmm. coaching needs to get the entire team protection to quarterback to receiver right on a concept in order to install it in the game plan and they clearly don't have that correct they're missing reads they're missing time guys aren't separating hightower is but other guys aren't hightower occasionally isn't hightower's been on the wrong reads carson's overthrowing these concepts he's throwing the ball to spots where receivers don't go so the, the game planning isn't good and clearly, there's nobody in the building who has successfully told Carson, hey, 82 is open. We're going to work 82 into the game plan more. Nobody at halftime in the Bengals game said, listen, 82 is playing. We're going to get a couple plays called for 82. If they tried to, it clearly didn't work. But I don't know if they even tried to. I don't know if anybody even got that across to him, right? right? So, Hightower is separating. Yes, I agree. But the problem that the Eagles have is their fifth-round receiver from rookie is the best one right now, which is not good, right? (laughs) Hightower is separating. That's great. Hightower's got drops problems. Yep. And he's also like a a, a skinnier dude without a ton of yak ability. He's not really like a break tackle guy. Like he and Rager are both long speed, but Hightower is like thin leg, thin hip. He's not going to break tackles. He's just like underneath separating right now. They haven't given him really any deep targets. They were trying to hit him on like the Emmanuel Sanders, Brandon Ayuk, little glance RPOs that, that, uh, uh, in week one, a lot of his targets came on that. He wasn't catching over the middle against con- contested catches, whatever. So your number one problem is your fifth round rookie right now is the guy that everybody's like, he's separating, yay! Number two, quarterback doesn't want to look to him because quarterback's got the yips. Quarterback doesn't feel like he has a relationship with him. And number three, the coaching staff can't get the quarterback and the receiver's relationship going. Mm. So, okay, Hightower is separating. But because everything is a problem here, it's not enough. It's not nearly enough. Somebody's got to either force Carson to start throwing the ball to this guy, or Hightower's got to start making plays and making catches down the field, right? Hightower got four targets against Washington. None of them went well. They got a DPI. Like, that was it. You know what I mean? So, yes, Hightower is separating. That can't be the bar. <laughs> there has to be more. An offense needs so much more than one separating rookie wide receiver to be a successful passing game. So this this well encapsulates the issue with Philadelphia, which is that there's so many problems to this Hydra. There's so many heads to this beast that when you cut off the one, yes, we have a receiver who's opening against man coverage. Guess what? The other seven still suck. That's fun. That's I like the I like the analogy there. Let, let, let's dig into Carson a little bit more here before we go to break. Again, this this is more of a larger talking point. But our friend Joe Giglio, 
did a poll for his show on 94 WIP. And as he often does, uh, Joe's really good at, at finding topics that will split the audience and then taking a hard stance that he knows will piss off half the people based off that polling. And you had to know where he was going with this one because the poll was, if Carson Wentz has a poor half versus the 49ers, should the Eagles sit him down for Jalen Hurts? 45% said no, 55% said yes. Now, I, I took a listen, and to be fair, and look, I disagreed with Gilio on a lot of things with Wentz in the past, but I thought he was being fair. Now, he's not saying bench him for the half and beyond. He was saying, try to get yourself a spark with a quarterback that can do things with his legs and try to save your season. So there are obviously long-term ramifications to this thing that could be damaging, but you're trying to save a season, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's robbing Wentz of a chance at his like classic bad first half game and then great second half game that, that we've seen from him before. But the leash has got to be continually shortening on this guy. And again, they have to win. They cannot be worried about feelings at this point. I think either way, you're going to see more hurts in this game plan and how that unfolds in the first half may dictate things, may dictate that decision later on if you have to make one. But I'm interested in your thoughts, Ben. You're Doug Peterson. The score is 14-3 at halftime. Carson Wentz is 8-for-16 with 72 yards and an interception. The offense has zero life. Do you try to make a change and get a temporary spark from Hurts in that situation? No. I mean, okay. so, so your objective here is to win the football game. Mine isn't. I just don't. Like, why? There's no reason to be trying to win football games anymore. Let's say, let's say Carson starts playing like 2017 Carson. Your team is still really bad because it's still really injured. But what, right? what 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 general manager, what head coach is going to legitimately have that mentality? That may be the reality okay. to me, okay. you, and the fans. Right. That's not the reality to them. They're trying to save a season, right? Right. No, I hear you. And I hear you. That's the okay. thing, right? It's like saying like, hey, actively lose this football game is never going to fly. <laughs> but you know, I say that my objective is not winning the football game. My objective is fixing my franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. Can I make, is there an argument that a general manager and a head coach would be more interested in fixing Carson Wentz than they would be in beating the San Francisco 49ers? In my opinion, yes. Okay. Right? Because what you have to ask yourself is what's best for the franchise, short term, long term. Short term, the best thing for the franchise is winning the next 13 football games. Would be great for us, right? Make the playoffs. Fourth year in a row under Doug Peterson. Everything is hunky dory. If you get to a point where Hertz is better for you in that pursuit than Wentz is for you in that pursuit, then your long-term health of the franchise is in a terrifying state mm. because you have $70 million worth of signing and roster bonuses baked into Carson Wentz. He's not going anywhere, not doing anything. You can't. It, you cut him, you take on a huge cap hit. You trade him, you take on a huge cap hit. He sits here, he continues to eat cap even though he's behind Jalen Hurts. Meanwhile, you put Hurts in front of Carson – you're going to have the same problem that you currently have with Carson above Hurts, which is when Hurts starts playing poorly, which as a second-round rookie, he is wont to do. Mm. And now you're going to potentially reinstall Carson. So if you, if short-term you get to the point where Hurts is better for you than Carson, then long-term you have no, there's no bigger problem in the league than the one that you currently have, which is you have a $134 million quarterback on the bench <laughs> and no way to convince another team that he's worth significant trade investment because you just benched him do you think that it damages to the point even if like you bring him back to start next week right you sit him right. for a half so so right so this 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 is a exactly, great question this is the next extension which is all right so if we are going to orient ourselves on doing what is best for carson 
that does not remove from the list of possibilities benching him. You're right. Like, okay. The word yips has been thrown around with Carson. And I think it's warranted. When a guy is the yips, sometimes he needs a break. When a guy's been under constant duress, both physically in terms of pressure and mentally in terms of the expectations he's set for himself and the city has set for him, so on and so forth, a break could potentially be beneficial. There we go. You have a coaching staff that needs to be responsible for the player. You have a front office that needs to be responsible for the player. As we've discussed, there seems to be nobody in this building who's got a good bead on like helping Carson and teaching him what to do, so on and so forth. Mm. But, okay, you have this guy. You want to make the best decision for him long term. That could be sitting him. Okay. That could be saying, Carson, here's a groin injury. Come back in three weeks. You know what? Like, don't even come into the facility on Tuesday. Mm. Just... Hang out with your kid. Right, right, right. Go, go shoot something in North Dakota. Get your like, head. Like it's right. okay. Like you know, like this really sucks. But like, you're our guy. We want you to just take a breather. That could be the move. Right. Hypnosis. However, whatever you need to do. <laughs> right. Ahead. However, there was this one time, Mike, where Carson Wentz lost his starting job. You may have heard of it. It's called 2017. <laughs> Nick Foles came in and won the Super Bowl. I would argue that Carson's probably got a little bit of a hair trigger, a little bit of a button on backup quarterbacks (laughs) in his life. Good point. You know, which circles us back to the April conversation about why in the name of God did you draft Jalen Hurts? I don't think... Does that allow you to have Carson Wentz hold you hostage with poor play? Right, right. (laughs) That's that's the other side of that conversation. But if we're talking about... Our objective is to get Carson Wentz right so that the quarterback we paid for plays like the quarterback we paid for. Then I do not believe sitting him for Hurts at any stage in my read of the situation okay. will be beneficial to him. If if they if let's say they do 14 to 3, Carson's playing badly, Jalen Hurts comes out, starts the second half, plays the rest of the game, is arguably better, but probably just as bad as Carson, and they go to the postgame locker room. If they say, if Doug says, listen, we sat Carson because Carson's clearly struggling. We, we tied with him in the locker room. He's really having a tough time. He's feeling banged up. And we wanted to give him a situation where we felt like it would be easier for him to get his sea legs back under him. He's clearly been playing badly. And this is what we think will be best for him long term. I will have no problem with that. Right. If they say we felt the game was within reach against San Francisco 49ers and we're oriented on winning football games, I'll be pissed off. Because that to me is a very short-sighted decision yeah. that does not benefit your team short term enough to justify the long term hurt. Okay. And I mean, ultimately, it's on the coaching staff to make the right decision with that, whether it is benching him or not benching him. That's their decision to make. They have to make the right one. Uh, my faith in them making the right decision in that case is not necessarily at the highest right now. So when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll give our prediction on the, if the Eagles offense is going to go over or under their allotted points, according to Vegas. We'll also briefly preview uh, the Eagles defense against the 49ers offense. That's coming up next here on the Kiston Solak Show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year 
at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 197, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. So we talked a lot about the offense overall and what's going on with them, but let's go to our DraftKings Sportsbook official line on this game. Under. The, the, <laughs> what? The, the over-under is at 46. The 49ers are seven-point home favorites, even despite the fact that they're starting Nick Mullins, who, I mean, played really well last week. So they're saying that the score is going to be about 27 to 20-ish. Over-under on the Eagles scoring 20 points. Under. Okay. Why? Why? Why have why? faith that they can't? Yeah, I know. Yeah, bad. Do you know the... Uh, I, I would like to see one thing happen. I think, like, my, my, my objective for the offense this week is single. Miles Sanders being conditioned enough to play four quarters Mm. that's the bar i'd like to clear because i think sanders would have been really beneficial if he were healthy and had gas in the third and the fourth quarter and i don't know why he's not like the fact that he's not conditioned is so frustrating i understand he was banged up but it's so disappointing no other team is dealing with this issue if you have to spell him a little bit more with scott and clement in the first and second quarter okay but like the eagles right now no team in the league has a bit bigger difference between their rushing EPA per down and their dropback EPA per play than the Eagles do in terms of having rushing higher than passing, right? Mm. Other teams have a much bigger difference passing above rushing. The Eagles are the team with the biggest difference rushing above passing. This team has been a generally decent running team. They need Sanders to be available in the fourth quarter. In the event that any game is within reach, in the event that it's still neutral game script, he is critical to them being able to move the ball down the field. Uh, So I'd like for them to continue feeding Sanders as a runner. I know they've been targeting him a lot. Wentz just cannot get on the same page with him. Another sign of everything being bad. Uh, so hand him the football, run the football. You have Nate Herbig and Matt Pryor in there. Both of them have their own struggles in pass protection, but both have been plus in the running game thus far. They're absolute people movers. San Francisco 49ers defensive line is banged up. Linebacking core is, is really, really good, but it's built to stop the pass it is not the best run defending linebacker core in the league i agree run the football run the football at the niners take some clock ball out of carson Wentz's hand let your offensive line come aggressively off the line of scrimmage i'd like to see them run the ball i think they're going to be under because they're if they pass they're not going to score points and if they run they're going to score points very slowly but i I think running the ball is the path for this team short term so i'm going to go under and just a quick note on the on the 49ers linebackers uh 49ers linebacker fred warner is is really starting to get into that elite status and ben hated him pre-draft process i loved him to the point where ben said i was just trying to be spicy it's not even not even real (laughs) so we we touched on the injury report earlier for the uh the offense for the eagles but let's talk about a key situation on the defense for the eagles cb2 avanti maddox is going to miss some time with an ankle injury one to two games maybe and the thought would be possibly Trevor Williams filling in for him on the outside in his absence, but he's dealing with a rib injury, did not practice on Thursday. We know that he didn't practice today as we record this. And look, I, so perhaps we see Craven LeBlanc on the outside. Maybe it's Nikhil Roby Coleman, but like either way. Perhaps we see my, my me just repeatedly <laughs> punching myself in the face at CB2. <laughs> the Eagles are yet again experiencing musical chairs in their secondary and that's happening with George Kittle coming back. Uh, Debo Samuel has been cleared to return. 
And I guess what I'm saying here is eat Arby's because yep. nothing matters. And Brandon Ayuk, explosive guy. Debo's back. I just like what 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 do you what do you do? What do you expect from the secondary the, in the this game? The great news for the Eagles is that if they're stuck playing exclusively nickel corners at CB2, Ayuk and Debo move into the slot a lot anyway. You can fully mirror match these guys just because. You already you don't have outside corners besides Slay, and even then, like when Slay mirrors guys, he goes into the slot with them. So yeah, uh, the Eagles' corner room is in total disarray. So is the Niners. Niners are out here starting Dante Johnson and Jason Verrett, but obviously Verrett's been banged up from a, he played well, but like Verrett's got injury problems. Yeah, Niners have no corners. Eagles have no corners. This would be the sort of game where you'd be like, wow, points. But the Eagles also have no wide receivers, so nobody to take advantage of the no corner situation. And I mean, looking at the uh, the, the offensive line real quick, one one thing that I did want to point out: uh, Trent Williams has been uh, playing pretty. That's been pretty fruitful for the 49ers. So I, I really want to see what the Eagles' edges are able to bring in terms of pass rush. Josh Sweat, for example, who had that great sack against Jonah Williams using the the side scissors and flattening to, to Joe Burrow and getting the sack there. I, I want to see Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett do something against a guy that that is established in the league, that is is a top-tier offensive lineman, win healthy and all those things. So that that's something that I'm looking for. That would be nice. Yeah, the Niners, like, I think given the fact that the Eagles hung with the Bengals in week three, and you ask why, and it's because they had eight sacks, which is right. very funny. When Wentz had eight sacks, I was like very acutely aware of the fact that he had eight sacks. I heard that Burrow had eight sacks. I was like, what are you talking about? He had like four. Right, right, Turns right. Turns out he had eight sacks. I was apparently preoccupied complaining about other things. So eight sacks for him, 18 quarterback hits, tremendous. If you want the Eagles to be in a game this year, you look at the opposing team's offensive line, and, and specifically their interior offensive line, and you ask yourself if they're going to be able to dominate this group. Right. The Niners' interior offensive line, Lincoln Tomlinson, Ben Garland, uh, Danny Brunskill, it's really not a great group, and in true pass protection situations, the Eagles would be at a big advantage. But they just they they were able to run so much play action. They're able to move their guys so much, and they're able to, to to move the spot of Mullins. Mullins didn't run as much play action, roll out dropback stuff as Garoppolo did. He, he still ran it. The they still ran highest. It. <laughs> yeah, but you'll get you'll get Mullins on a predictable spot, shotgun three step drop in the backfield more frequently. The the Giants who have a decent interior defensive line group found some success pushing the pocket. So there's reason for hope there. I just don't think it's enough to overcome the rest of the really difficult things that the Eagles are looking at in this in this matchup. So, yeah, I, I expect their their defensive line to generate pressure. I expect their defensive line to generate sacks. I also expect the first read to be open 100% of the time because there's one person in the Eagles' back seven who's capable of covering anybody on the Niners roster, and it's Darius Slay, and he can't be everywhere. Let's go Let's go to the, some stats on that that I read on the uh, the QB factory, but I'll read them here as well. Uh, Nick Mullins, as I just mentioned, fourth in play action frequency in week three. Uh, he went 10 for 16, 137 yards and a touchdown on those concepts. On this season, the Eagles defense against play action per PFF, allowing a 73% completion rate, 364 yards through the air. That's 8.8 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 132.6 passer rating. And as we saw with Jared Goff, who ran it like 57% of the time against the Eagles, the Eagles are having a lot of issues generating pressure on this play asking concepts. They've tried to figure that out recently, bringing pressure off the edge, bringing some nickel guys, shooting, you know, Jalen Mills in there, things of that nature. Uh, it still not has been fully solved, and it has been an issue for them for the past few years. Speaking of Nick Mullins, uh, Ben, Schofield had the take on the QB factory 
that Nick Mullins might be the better quarterback than than Jimmy G. I when I saw this tweet and then I listened to the episode, I was so pleased because on Locked On NFL Draft, the podcast with which I cheat on you, you cheat <laughs> on me with the QB factory. I said my take is this: my take is not necessarily that Mullins is better than Garoppolo, but it's that Shanahan likes having Mullins better than having Garoppolo because it's just. Shanahan proving how good he is and how he is the sole (laughs) puppeteer behind the marionette that is Jimmy Garoppolo. They put Nick Mullins out there and Mullins out here doing more big boy things than Garoppolo does and making great throws. Yep. Yeah, he he was was slinging the ball downfield. Like, they're still going to push this ball downfield. Mullins had several completions over 10 yards in the air. And I think that that's a great point. Like, there's always the conversation of, is it Belichick or is it Brady? Like, is it the coach or is it the quarterback? We did this with Doug Peterson. I am positive it's Shanahan. I am certain. I am 100% (laughs) in this case that it is Kyle Shanahan for sure. Yeah. So, no, I, I was very impressed with some of the throws that Nick Mullins made. Mullins, like I said, they'll drop him back in, in true shotgun spread, like, you know, just like four wide, you know, usual spacing stuff. The sort of stuff that Shanahan usually sneers at doesn't have two motions and crossers all attached to it, right? And they'll just let Mullins facilitate, read pre-snap and go, not dissimilar to what we talked about with Brett Rippon and the Broncos. Uh, and he's, he's capable of making throws. His biggest thing is he doesn't have the timing in his feet that Garoppolo does. And so Shanahan doesn't necessarily want him on reverse pivot, under center, seven step drop, landing point on an 18 yard stop route. Like that all is so finely tuned and Mullins just isn't as consistent there. So that's, I think, probably the real reason why Mullins does different stuff than Garoppolo. I like my explanation better, which is that just Shanahan trusts him more to like make big boy plays. Um, But he's legit. In the sense that this is not the Eagles facing a backup quarterback where you expect the offense to be ratcheted down. As a matter of fact, with Kittle and Debo back and with the faith and the experience that Shanahan has coordinating for Mullins, the San Francisco offense is just about what it usually is, in my opinion, which, as we know, Jim Schwartz's defenses have historically been quite good against Kyle Shanahan's offenses. I'm here to tell you that this linebacker and, and secondary group is not enough to keep that trend going. They've on average allowed 15 points against Shanahan. They're going to allow a lot more than 15 this week. Yeah, I, I would definitely uh, agree with that. You know, it, no matter what the matchup is, is it, is it juice check? Is it is it one of the running Juszczyk. backs? They have? Yeah, juice check. Uh, one of the running backs they have back there. Is it is it Kittle? Is it another tight end? They're going to eat these Eagles linebackers alive. We haven't even talked about the day that Nate Gary has in store for him, but we've done it on other shows. I think we all understand that when Kyle Shanahan wants to make a linebacker look stupid, and he he does every week, that linebacker is going to look very, very stupid. So another rough week coming up for the Eagles linebacking core. Speaking again about the Broncos, Josie Jewell had a great game uh, for the Broncos last night. It was a white linebacker wearing 47. Every time he made a play, I was stunned. I remember the debate about him coming out. Me and you had a conversation about him. I thought he was a salvageable NFL guy. And this was his best career game. Uh, he's what the Eagles were probably hoping Nate Gary would be. <laughs> right. Which Lord be with them. The Eagles were hoping he would be Josie Jewel. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm not sure if I said it before. I'm going to go under on the uh, 20 points for the Eagles offense. And then again, the, the DraftKings Sportsbook, 49 or 7 points, point favorites. The over-under is set at 46. So you're saying, you know, 27 points for the 49ers. I think that's about right. Uh, I, I think they score 30. And I think the Eagles score 
let's call it 17. Ben, what's your final uh, score prediction? I mean, I just can't pick the Eagles at this point. I cannot. They have to give me a reason to. And I I refuse to to be a homer and be like, oh, oh, back against the wall game. Last week was a back against the wall game, and they tied the Bengals. So here we are. I think the Niners scored 34. Yeah. I think the Eagles scored 13, 14. I don't think it's close. I don't think it's ever within reach. I don't think the Eagles have enough firepower at wide receiver or at corner to be realistically considered in this game if Carson Wentz were playing well. Right. If we had three games like the Washington game where he at least had like one half of like really good play, I still don't see how you make this out to be a game. Mm -hmm. The Eagles are so injured right now that it is extremely difficult to take them seriously independent of the clear disconnect that is going on in the offensive system. And they haven't shown that they can play like the 49ers when they're injured. Obviously, the 49ers missing eight starters last week and still blowing right. out the there's a Giants. connection because there's, there's, there's a, yes. a, an offensive coaching staff knows what they're doing and knows how to work around the problems. Ben, they that also is... had a good wide receiver four. They like Kendrick Bourne is their wide receiver four. He's a good ball player. He is a really good ball player. John Hightower. I agree. Bourne is uh, really sneakily underrated. I, I, I liked his film when I watched him in the summer. He was a good one. That means he's going to have like 100 yards, right? We called like Tyler Boyd, like solid, but unspectacular. Went for over 100 yards against the Eagles. Just real quick, real quick, real quick. I'm curious. I don't have a great answer for it. What do you think they do with Slay? Because obviously they didn't have Slay so much mirroring AJ Green last week. They had a mirroring in the first two weeks against McLaurin and then against Woods, I think. What do you think they're they're doing with Slay? I don't think they're going to mirror him this game. I think no. they're going to try to keep 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 their shell and kind of keep things a little bit simpler with uh, with a backup quarterback coming in that doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Yeah, it's tricky because I think if they if they uh, if they are trying to treat the Shanahan offense the way they ended up treating the Rams offense by the time they figured out what was going on, they're going to be they're, yeah. they're not going to mirror with him because they're going to try to stay out of man cover to right. not get screwed by man beaters off motion. One hundred percent. Which then means if you're Shanahan, you get to choose Ayuk or Debo against Cravon LeBlanc. It's not going to go well. I, I got respect for Cravon, but it's not going to go well. So that's going to do it for the uh, Kist and Solak preview show of uh, 49ers Eagles. Sorry, we, we, we can't be more positive at this point, but I think you get it. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Thank you as always. For listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio, we do appreciate you swinging by. Now, thank you. We appreciate you listening, as always. The Eagles face the Niners in week four. Obviously, they're getting the Steelers in week five off of the unscheduled bye week because of the COVID-related issues with the Tennessee Titans roster. So we're looking at the Niners game. Uh, Sunday Night Football, a little primetime action. All your friends and family can watch the Eagles across the country and then text you about it. It's going to be great. Can't wait. With that said, despite the fact that it's our first non-1 o'clock game of the year, Mike and I will still be, as per usual, available for you in the immediate wake of the game in our post-game pod, as well as our post-game analysis written on BleedingGreenNation.com. If you enjoy the feed and all of the shows on it, Please go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's KSTI. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Eagles Niners, baby. Still hunting that first win of the season. We all, Here we, we all, go. We all we got. Fly birds, something. We all we need. Go, Eagles. Yeah. Fly, Eagles, fly. Yeah.